excited. Well, hey, thanks. Excited we're working on this series on faith. So uh, that's going to be good. If we could take a minute, let's just pray again. Uh, not that that didn't take. I believe it did. But, uh, you know, it would just be a good thing. Let's pray. Okay. Lord, thanks for um, your word. Thanks for uh, all that it does for us. And God, I know that uh, we need you tonight to make that clear. Uh, Father, I really pray uh, tonight that uh, really by your spirit, you would, um, you would really make things clear to folks. Help them to really understand many of the things that we're talking about tonight. Help us not to be muddled. Uh, Father, uh, I know I'm well able to do that. I pray that um, you would uh, provide clarity. Uh, to folks and that you would help them to understand how to uh, personally uh, and powerfully apply your word to their lives tonight. And we pray that, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you weren't here last week, which some of you may not have been, if you weren't, we began a series on uh, faith and we started looking at some things. We're going to do that for about three weeks. This is the second week. And so last week uh, we began by looking at uh, the foundation of our faith, and we ask some questions like, you know, um, why uh, do you need faith, and what is faith, and we looked at answers to things. I think one of the things we didn't ask that we probably should have at that point was, you know, well, when when do you need faith? I mean, you you know, like you need faith like all the time. Well, yeah, in some things, but you know, one, you need faith as you begin a relationship with Christ. You know, you have to decide, as Hebrews said, that that God is. You know, you have to have some faith to actually make that choice. You have to have some faith to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And then you need faith as you learn to walk with him and as you walk with him through life. In Colossians 2.6, um, Paul is writing and he says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Well, how do you receive him? By grace, through faith. How do you walk with him? By grace, through faith. And so faith is an indispensable uh, aspect of your walk with God throughout your life. So as we looked last week, what we found out is that the foundation of our faith was based in an event. And if you don't understand that, if you don't understand that your faith is based in an incontrovertible event that is rock solid, then you can really begin to have some issues. You can begin to have some problems. You, you can really be uncertain about your faith sometimes. In fact, you can be almost apologetic. Not that any of you have ever been that way, but I've seen some people, you know, someone will ask them, you know, like, are you a Christian? Uh-huh. You are? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, what do you believe? You're like, what was that? Yeah, and there's like, we just try to act like, you know, just kind of fly under the radar because we almost feel like we have to be apologetic about things. But that is not the case at all. Now, a lot of times people have looked and they think, well, the Bible, isn't, isn't that kind of the foundation for our faith? No, no. The Bible records the event that is foundational to our faith, but the Bible is not the foundation of our faith. If the Bible were the foundation of your faith, what you find is this. Every time somebody comes up with some question about the Bible, every time somebody begins to attack the Bible in some way, suddenly you get worried. Oh, oh, I hope it's going to be okay. I hope it can weather this. You know, I hope it's like this. I hope it's like, you don't, you don't need to worry about that at all. You know, the Bible can take care of itself. You know, you don't have to worry about that, but... The foundation of our faith is based in an event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Now, what the Bible does, if, if that's not the role of the Bible, if the Bible is not the foundation, then what, what is the role of the Bible? And so I'm glad you asked. We're going to look at that. Uh, the Bible is the key to your faith. The Bible is the key to your faith. Now, when I say key, I'm not talking about like a key and a lock. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about Webster's other definition of key that you see here. It's something that gives explanation or provides a solution, such as like the key to the riddle, or it is an aid to interpretation or identification, such as the key to understanding their motivation. You look at a key to try to make sense out of the things that you're seeing before you. You look at a key to try to make sense out of events that happen that you're really not sure how to interpret them, how to understand them, how to make sense of them. But you look at a key, and what a key does is a key helps you to understand that. So in that sense, you, you, you really want to look at a key. Now, it is possible to see an event and totally misread it, totally misread it. In fact, uh, Stephen Covey in his book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, gives a great example of that. He talks about, he said, you know, it was kind of a, a weekend setting, and uh, he's in the morning, you get on the subway, he's on the subway, and he said he looks over, and there are these people traveling along. He said everybody's in kind of this, you know, quiet mood. Some people are reading their newspapers, some are kind of dozing off, waiting for their stop to come up. Others are just kind of looking out the window. But they're all kind of there, and suddenly they come to a stop, and this dad and two small children get on, and everything changes. Now, the dad kind of goes over there and sits down and closes his eyes and kind of leans against the window. And these two kids start going nuts. I mean, one of them is trying to cling on to the other one. The other one's kind of pushing them, and they're running away, and they're running around, and they're, they're pushing each other. They're bumping into people. You know, they're hitting each people's papers. They're messing with them. And this guy's watching this, and he's thinking, oh, my gosh. What these out-of-control kids, what in the world are we going to do with them? And then he says, and this deadbeat dad, look at him. He's laying there against the window. He's not even paying attention. Something has to be done about this. And he's kind of sitting there, and he's getting more worked up, more worked up, more worked up. And all of a sudden, one of these kids runs by and bumps into him. He's like, that's it. That's it. So he walks over, and he kind of nudges the guy, and he goes, <coughs> excuse me, sir. And the guy kind of, you know. Like he comes back to consciousness, looks over at him. He says, I don't, I don't know whether you realize this or not, but your two kids are making nuisances of themselves. They're running all over the place, bumping into people. I think you need to do a little something about that. And the dad says, I, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. He said, uh, you know, we just came from the hospital and their mother just died. And he goes, I, I really don't know how to handle that right now. And he goes, I guess they're probably experiencing some of the same thing. I'm really sorry. I'll get them calmed down right now. The guy said, you know, suddenly, totally different perspective. I wasn't sitting there thinking, deadbeat dad, rambunctious kids. He said, I was sitting there thinking, how in the world could they be dealing with this as well as they are? He said, suddenly I saw everything different once I understood what was really going on. Now, what you see is this. It is possible to witness an event and totally have the wrong perspective. What the Bible does as the key to our faith is it informs us of the significance of the events that we see. 
it informs us of the significance of the events that we see. For instance, in first century, you know what? There were many folks who saw a young, pregnant, teenage girl about to give birth arrive in the town of Bethlehem. And if you were to ask, I would imagine you would have found a lot of perspective. You would have found people who had a whole lot of ways they looked at that in terms of significance. But see, we go to the Bible and what we find is God was preparing to enter the world. We don't know that apart from that. The Bible is the key to our faith. Now, for some of you that don't know, there was a guy that lived in, um, in the 19th century. He, uh, in, well, it was 20th century. He uh, died in 2009, a guy named Paul Harvey. Now, he at one point was the most listened to uh, radio personality uh, all over the place. I mean, for like 40 years, he had a program that ran on national television called The Rest of the Story. And he, people would like tune in every day to listen to Paul Harvey, you know, and he would, he would tell the story of some famous person or some infamous person, and he always left out a few facts until the end. And then he would reveal these facts, and it would all come together, and people would be like, oh, whoa, and then he had this famous tagline, and now you know the rest of his story. And everybody's kind of like, you know, one example of that was like he told the story of uh, this radio uh, radio station, w, WJZ-TV in Baltimore, and, or this television station. And he said one day the station manager calls in this young news anchor that they just hired named Gail. And he says, Gail, um, it, it's not going to work for you. Uh, this, I mean... You're, you're, we're, we're not going to we're not going to be able to allow you to anchor the news anymore. It's just not working. I mean, they'd had numerous complaints. Gail had come from a smaller market where she used notes and stuff like that, and now she was having to read a teleprompter. And as she was reading the teleprompter, she was kind of getting the news at the same time other people were, and she many times would get confused on words and couldn't pronounce words right and. She would stumble over things, and she would just misstep time after time. And, you know, he looked at it. He, he tried to just keep people at bay for a while, but finally he had enough complaints and enough things. He thought, you know, that wasn't going to work. And then she would go out to interview somebody, and uh, when she was interviewing somebody and, and talking to them, you know, they would tell a story about how one of their – their children were really in bad shape, and, and she would start crying and lose it all right there. And they're like, oh, we can't have this. She's way too empathetic, you know. And she would just start talking about other things. They thought, no, she's way too spontaneous. We can't do this. So they thought, you know what, we just need to let her go. But then they thought about it. They thought, oh, she's under contract. In other words, we have to pay her anyway. So they thought, okay, well, we've got to find something to do with her then for, for at least a couple of years until we can get out from underneath this contract. So they were trying to figure out, so somebody in the station came up with the idea, send her to New York and we'll have her like made over and you know, we'll give her a new hairstyle, we'll give her you know, new everything and maybe we'll put her into a different position stuff. So all right, yeah, let's do that. So they, they decided to send her to New York and she went up there and was getting all this makeover 
The only problem was that what they used to kind of change her hair and do something that caused her hair to fall out. Now you have a bald girl reporter, and things aren't really going well, so she comes back, and they're all just like, oh, my gosh, what do we do now? So the station manager said, look, put her on this little listen-to morning talk show, okay? Just kind of stow her away over there. No one listens to that anyway. Put her over there. I mean, she can't read. She doesn't even have to read a teleprompter there. All she has to do is ask, ask people questions and listen to what they say. She said, we can hide her there for two years, and then we'll just let her go. What they found out was when they put her there, she was good at asking questions. She was, she was even better at, you know, just listening to people. And in fact, what they began to find was, it was in that situation, she kind of found her, her niche. I mean, she couldn't have to read a teleprompter anymore, but she was doing really well there. Now, you guys know the bald Baltimore disaster probably differently. You know her by her first name, Oprah Dale Winfrey. And as Paul Harvey would say, now you know the rest of the story. See, and that's what the Bible does. What the Bible does, you look at things sometimes, you're thinking, how does that fit? What goes on there? What's going on? What is God doing? What is God? And God says, uh-huh. And he reveals stuff to you in the scripture. You go, oh. And then you know the rest of the story. You begin to figure out what's happening. You can know aspects about God apart from the Bible. Like if you look around at creation, you can know aspects about God. You can discover things. Romans 20 tells us that. But you'll never know the rest of the story. You'll never know the, the meaning behind it, the significance of it, apart from the scriptures. The reason is this. God is known and is knowable only as he chooses to reveal himself. God is known and knowable only as he chooses to reveal himself. Now you say, well, why is that? Well, one of the main reasons, God exists outside of our five senses. He's outside of time and space. You're never going to sneak up on God. You know, that's not going to happen. He is, you can't just think, well, I'm just going to go find him today. No, that's not going to happen. You will never be able to know him apart from him allowing us to know him by revealing himself to us. So what we are what we are is we are dependent upon him. If we're going to get to know him, we are dependent upon him to reveal himself to us. So the key to knowing and trusting Christ is really the narrative that God has given us, that he has chosen to give us, that informs us and helps us to understand what he's doing in history. Thus, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15.3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now see, if you were to look at people back then and ask them a question, you know, what happened? They say, Christ died. But what Paul tells us here, he died for our sins. See, it tells you what's going on behind the scenes that you don't know. How do we know that? The very next verse. Or the very next part of that verse. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. The scriptures give you a front row seat about what is going on with things. See, the gospel is not just an event. The life, death, 
and resurrection of Christ. That's not the gospel. The gospel is an event plus the divine interpretation of that event. That's the rest of the story that we need to know. So without the Bible, we would never really have a clear understanding of God. For that matter, we would never really understand the moral dilemma that we're in as, as mankind. We would never understand that. We would never understand our purpose, and we'd never understand how to really live life out if we didn't have the Scriptures. So what the Bible gives you, the Bible gives you quite a few things. So what does the Bible give you? One, it gives you an accurate picture of God. If you want to know, like you look into the Scriptures, you think, well, what am I going to get if I dig into it? Well, you'll get an accurate picture of God. That's one of the main things you'll get. Like John 1.1, when John is writing his gospel, he starts off his gospel like this. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you go on and you begin to read through the rest of John chapter 1, one of the things you see right there is that what he's referring to when he says, in the beginning was the Word, is the Word is Jesus. And so you begin to think, why does he say that? does he say in the beginning was the word well you know what what does a word do a word gives you a mental picture of something in your mind like for instance if i say to you um, guitar none of you think of this have you noticed that fewer of you think this you know you you're not sitting there going oh yeah neil play that guitar right there the white one with the keys no no one's thinking that what is a what does a word do? A word gives you a mental picture of what something really is in your mind. What Jesus did as the word of God was he gave people a mental picture of this is what God is like. You want to know how God thinks of sinners? This is what it's like. You want to know how God thinks about uh, the world? This is what God's like. You want to know what God thinks about all this religious stuff that goes on in our heads? This is what God is like. He gives you a clear mental picture of that. The second thing the Bible does, the Bible gives us a clear, accurate understanding of ourselves. One of the very first things we see then is um, what Romans 3.23 says. We are sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we often like to think of ourselves as kind of basically good. You know, a lot of times we think, you know, I'm really not that bad of a person. I mean, I'm, I'm basically good. The Bible would say, mm, no, you're a sinner. In fact, what we find is that sin has put us in a bad spot because Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And so we think, wow, we're all sinners and the wages is death. Now, we tend, when we think about that sometimes, to think, you know, I have a few things that need to be tweaked for me to be acceptable to God. And what we don't understand is, no, no, no. We need a total makeover. In fact, what we really need is we need somebody outside of ourselves doing something for us outside of ourselves that is going to give us a totally different position before God. It has to be something outside of ourselves. And what we find, Paul says, that's exactly what Christ did. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, God made him, speaking of Jesus, he made him who had no sin to be sin for us 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, how do we know that? We don't apart from the scripture. The scripture is the key to our faith. The Bible is the key to our faith. The third thing the Bible does, the Bible gives you understanding of how to live the life that God has saved you to by his grace. It gives you an understanding of how do you actually live this life that God's called us to live. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, prepared for every good work. So it does some different things. It says, you know, it, it, uh, um, it teaches us. In other words, it shows us how do you actually get on the path that you need to be on. And then it's profitable for correction. It shows you when you get off of the path. Then it's profitable for reproof. It shows you how to get back on the path. And it's profitable for training in righteousness. It shows you how to stay on the path. And so one of the things you see is, you know, if we didn't have the scriptures, there's so many times we'd be going through life. How do, how do, what do you think we ought to do with this? I have no idea. You know, what do you think we ought to do? Well, I have no idea. And it would be just like it speaks of at one point in the Old Testament where it says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. See, apart from the scripture, that's exactly where we'd be. We have no other way of knowing. So you may look at this and say, okay, Neil, uh, the Bible's the key. And uh, it tells us all the things we need to know. But do we, like, know if the New Testament is reliable? I mean, what, do we know that? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, and, you know, you may be wondering even beyond that, well, what, what about the Old Testament, though? That's, like, more. That's bigger. Yeah, but here's the thing. If the New Testament is reliable and it talks about Jesus and who he is, and Jesus is, the son of God that he said to be, and we find the New Testament to be reliable. And Jesus said that the Old Testament was reliable, and that's recorded in the New Testament. So, hey, you solve the New Testament, you get both. It's just a bargain. And so, you know, you begin to look and you begin to think, okay, how would you begin to look at that? How would we figure out, is the New Testament reliable? Well, you use the same pattern here that you do with most any ancient manuscripts. In fact, C.S. Lewis, um, who studied uh, long ago and was uh, a guy who wrote extensively after he became a Christian, wrote many things in the Christian faith. One of the things Lewis talked about was, you know, he did the same tests on the Bible that he did on many other documents because one of his specialties was these ancient documents and figuring out which ones were real and which ones weren't, etc. And you begin to look and use the same kind of test. One of the very first things you ask is, you know, what about the dating of it? How close were the manuscripts we have? How close were the texts that we have with the events that went on? Now, <clears throat> if you look at, like, most Eng English writings, if you look at most of the old, old writings, people that are sitting here teaching on campus, you know, like maybe they're teaching you something about Plato or they're teaching you something about Aristotle or they're teaching you something about, you know, Homer and, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey and stuff like that. Most of those, if they can come up with 10 manuscripts, they're like, oh, it's a gold mine. And most of those are written anywhere from 500 to 700 years 
the events. With the scriptures, you can begin to just look at some things, and, and, and from, from the very context of the scriptures, you can begin to check some things out on dating. I'll just give you one instance, like the book of Acts. The book of Acts, Luke is really known as this great historian who writes the book of Acts. And one of the things you begin to see is that there were some, some things that were really left out that weren't in there, which is very unusual. Like Paul dying in about 66 um, A.D., Peter dying around 65 A.D., um, Jerusalem being destroyed like 70 A.D., those things don't show up. Well, why is that? Well, you know, as most people look at that, they would say, you know, the only logical reason you can come up with, it was written before those events took place. So it had to be written somewhere before 65 A.D. Now, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, was written before the book of Acts. Acts is kind of like volume two of Luke and Acts. And Matthew and Mark were written before Luke. So just by simple reasoning, you can figure out, we have all of these documents right here that we know to be much, much closer to the date. I mean, within 30 years of the date, we have these documents. Not only do we have those documents, but do we have many of them? Like 5,000 copies of either partial documents or full documents. 5,000. Now, that's just in Greek. If you look into other languages and you start to include those as well, then you have like 25,000 copies of manuscript. A little bit different than print. And yet, you know, people wonder, is it, is it reliable? Yeah. I mean, we have actually... An entire, um, an entire copy of a manuscript. We have an entire copy of the New Testament, like that's between 100 and 150 A.D. We have, uh, we have like a Gospel of um, Gospel of John, that's like 40 A.D. So you look at all these, very close to the dates. Many many copies. Does it pass the test of of early things? Yeah. One of the second things you look at is, what about eyewitnesses? How do eyewitnesses factor in? Well, there's many. One of them, you, you see, uh, Peter says this. When Peter's writing in, in 2 Peter 1, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Eyewitnesses. John picks up on that same thing in First uh, John. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, these things we write. Over and over and over, what you find is there were people who were eyewitnesses. I mean, were there eyewitnesses when Jesus fed the multitudes? Yeah, there were like 5,000. Were there eyewitnesses when he fed the multitudes? When he fed, yeah, like 4,000. There were over 500 that saw him risen from the grave. So eyewitnesses, does it pass that test? Check. 
third test you look at is when people are trying to figure out, you know, is this true or is it not? Is it accurate or not? One of the things they look at, what about embarrassing things? Do they put those in? Because have you ever noticed nobody lies to make themselves look bad? Have any of you, now you guys, you, girls, you don't listen to that much. Have any of you guys, have you ever, have you ever said something or kind of embellished a story a little bit to make yourself look good around a girl? I mean, you haven't, but you know another guy that's sitting by you that has, right? So, uh, yeah. But how many of you embellished a story to make yourself look bad? See, nobody does that. Nobody lies to make themselves look bad. The only time that you would say something that you're going to look bad is if it's the truth. I mean, that's the only time. So you start looking at some things. Are there things like that in Scripture? Oh, my gosh, they are replete. I mean, you, we could go into many, many. Let me just give you a few. Um, the disciples who wrote these books, did you notice how many times they mentioned how they just didn't get it? Like they keep coming back to Jesus and going, could you explain that to us again? We, we didn't get that, that parable. You know, what, what does that mean again? You know, and Jesus is like, okay. And so here we go. And he, he begins to explain it again. Or, you know, uh, you begin to look at things like, if you were one of the disciples and you were writing the story about the last night of Jesus on earth, and Jesus says, watch. Keep watching and pray while I go over here to pray. You know, if I was writing that and I was there, I mean, those other slackers, I don't know about them, but boy, I, you know, I mean, you, you think about how you write. You know what they said? They all fell asleep. And they, not once, but several times, they all just fall asleep. Or, you know, illustrations like, you know, when he's going on, he's done all of these miracles. I mean, they have watched him heal people. They have watched him turn water into wine. They have watched him feed uh, thousands. They've watched him walk on water. Suddenly, he calms the storm in the middle of the sea. And what is it the disciples ask? Who is this guy? Now, does that look like clever folk? No. Probably the big one, whenever they're just talking about who are the first people to discover the resurrection reported, who do they, who do they mention? Women. You never did that in the first century because women weren't considered reliable. Not that there's an, I would not have said that. <laughs> I would have said they're reliable. <laughs> I have a wife. Um, but, uh, yeah, I wouldn't know. I mean, they would, they would not have said that. Why? They would never have, you know, built their credibility on the testimony of these women went to the grave. And so especially the women went to the grave while the disciples were scared and hiding. You know, you, how many of you say that? You know, while I was hiding behind the rocks, a girl went over there and checked it out and came back and told me everything's okay. You know, no, no one does that. So does it pass the test of embarrassing? Things? Oh, yeah, all over the place, uh, all over the place. The last one. Manuscript authority. In other words, can we faithfully reconstruct things? Can we faithfully look at things and figure out, there again, replete. The number of texts, the, um, the authenticity of them, um, how, people, um, how people look at them. I mean, you know, there's, there's so many things right there that, that totally prove 
the scriptures to be true. That I mean, you, you could go and you, you could spend you could spend weeks on that. So the Bible, the Bible is the key to our faith. The Bible is reliable. It's not the foundation. It records the foundation, but it's not the foundation. But it is God speaking to us in history. So then the question for us is, so what does that have to do with me? Or maybe a better question, so what do we have to do with that? What do we do with that? And I'm, again, glad you asked. Now, if you're someone who hasn't come to faith, you know, if you're one that, you know, you're not yet a Christian, then I would say a couple of different options. Uh, one, I would, I would encourage you to do just exactly what Jesus did in the first century. Over and over, he, he ran into people. He said, come and see. Come and see. You know, continue to look around. You can actually begin to learn from. You can begin to follow. You can actually begin to, to get to know Jesus before you ever commit to him. I mean, they did in the first century. You realize these guys followed him around for three years, and they weren't Christians yet. But they were following him around. You can begin to do that. Or maybe you're at a place where, you know, you're, you're not, uh, uh, haven't made that decision yet. You know, you, you're not a believer yet. But as you've begun to look at some things, you begin to think, you know, but I think, I think I'd really like, I think I'd really like to begin a relationship thing with him. Well, what I would tell you is this. You can commit to that. You can do that. That is not the same thing as saying, well, I agree that I believe the resurrection is true. That is not that, because you know what, what the scriptures tell us is, that, that's not, even, even the devil believes that. I mean, he believes that. What it is, it's really much more than that. It's understanding what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ, that through him coming and taking our sin upon himself there on the cross, dying for that sin, and then rising from the dead. Our sin has been paid for. And as we transfer our trust from anything we're doing to what he already did, we can have a relationship with him. So if you're someone and you're here and you're thinking, you know, I've never done that. Well, you can do that. You know, it's, it's not hard at all. Simple as ABC. Admit, God, you're right, I'm a sinner. B, believe. I believe that Jesus Christ took my sins upon him at the cross, died for them, and rose again. And C, commit. Turn your life over to him and choose to follow him as, as the boss of your life. So, you know, if, if you're here and you're not a believer, that's a couple of different options for you. If you're here and you... Maybe you're a young Christian and, and you're thinking, or maybe you're just, you know, you've, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you're still, you know, really young because you've just never really grown that much. What I would encourage you, you know, is Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, here's the thing that I notice a lot of times. I see folks and uh, they kind of wonder, why am, I, why am I not excited about telling people? Or why am I not excited about being a Christian? Why am I not? Uh, why am I not motivated? Why am I not? What you know? Why generally I think it is. They're trying to export something that's not worth entertaining. What I tell you is this: taste and see 
what the Lord is doing. Hey, have you ever noticed that when we do those things, just a natural response from us to telling others? You know, Melinda and I uh, saw this movie here about a week ago, and then I was with this group of guys, and the next thing I know, I said, hey, have you guys seen this movie? And they were like, no. And one of the guys said, I saw it last night. I said, you did? What did you think? Oh, man, he's telling me about different aspects of it. I'm telling him about what I liked about it. We're kind of talking about these things. A couple of these other guys go, I think I'm going to go see that movie. Yeah, and they're kind of sitting there. You know what? I have not been to one single class about how to tell people about Jesus. Never been to one. I have not, I never had the thought when I was telling him, I hope they don't ask me any questions about can you explain who the director was or what he was doing? No. I never had that thought. I just thought, this is a great movie. My gosh, I like this. I need to tell you about this. You know what you're going to find? A lot of the other things you worry about in the Christian life, those all begin to fall into place when you begin to taste and see what the Lord is doing. Begin to really walk with him. Begin to really check some things out with him. Begin to discover who he is. If you're someone that's been walking with God for a while, or you're in the process of really doing that, what I would tell you is dive in. Dive in. In James 1.22, what I tell you, you know, read the word of God, study the word of God, but more than anything, begin to do it. James says in James 1.20, this is the brother of Jesus who wrote the very first book that we have in the New Testament. Not one that you'll find in Scripture, but it was the first one. It was written first. It's not first in line. Matthew was written. You're going to go, I thought Matthew. No, no. But uh, it was the first one written. But James, what James says is this, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You know, there's something very subtle about hearing things sometimes, just like you're doing right now. We think we've done something. We haven't. We've done something when we take what we've heard and we actually begin to do something with it. So I would encourage you, you know, begin to look at that. Begin to be a doer of the word. Now next week, next week we're going to wrap up our, our look at faith. And what we're going to do then is we're going to look at what is the proof of our faith. Actually, I'm more excited about that message than I am these first two because I think that's going to be really fun and it's going to be really practical for us in, in how we begin to look at that. But before we do that, let me take a minute. Let's pray for us and then we'll invite the worship team back up. Father, thank you that you've given us your word so that we can actually know how to live life. We can have a real clear picture, Father, of who we are versus the very distorted picture that so often floats through our minds as we think of ourselves. So, Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to trust your word. But more than that, Father, you would help us to take it and put it into practice and live it out each day in such a way that we really honor you and bless others with new faith. And we pray those things in Jesus' name.